episode 232, Fixing a 1541. This is the Ericast for the week of November 17, 2013. From Ericast.com. Welcome to the Ericast. Well, thank you for listening to the Ericast. I'm your host, Eric Larson, 206-339-3742, listener feedback line right up front. So if you, the listener, want to feedback to me, Eric Larson of the Ericast, that's how you do it. Um, reminding you that the Ericast is a personal podcast, which either means you know something about me and want to know what's going on in my life, or you're interested in the topic, which might actually happen for this episode, and you thought, huh, that's intriguing. I want to find out, okay, what's the scoop there? So, yeah, it's been a few weeks three weeks or so. Happy to be back in the saddle. Ruth and the girls are out tonight for another half hour or so, so if I talk fast, I might be able to actually get a podcast recorded without the pitter-patter of little feet upstairs. 1541. There are a few of you who I know, and then maybe a, a vast silent majority of people who have who have come in seeing that, who kind of have that stimpy moment from Ren and Stimpy of going, joy, that kind of thing. And if you recognize Stimpy and Ren and Stimpy, then you might be of the vintage that recognizes a 1541 and what it might be that needs fixing. So this past weekend, I decided that Chloe needed needed to learn something. And actually, I was going to say, I don't know how I got on this kick. I know exactly how I got on this kick, now that I reflect on it for a moment or two, and that would be the topic of a future Ericast episode. Um, and I decided to fire up the old Commodore 64 that I have up in my den, which may someday become a different Ericast studio. It's like Studio B or something. Um Never really figured out the official Ericast lettering. But I do have a late mid-century modern-themed den. It's got the pole lamp and the Ames-style chair and the lava lamp and the, the clock radio with the radium dial. You know, often like late 60s, early 70s. Anyway, sitting in there in a hollowed-out console stereo, uh, had, I'd, it was all, I'd gotten in an antique shop, it was all... You know, the electronics were all beat up and wrecked and stuff and went off to recycling, but the, the cabinet was great. Sitting in that is my Commodore 64 and a pair of 1541 disk drives. Now, I personally think that 8-bit computing, you know, the Apple II Plus, uh, C64, the, some other Atari type, you know, stuff, I just didn't deal with those wasn't my niche. Um, I think that was the pinnacle of computing. And it kind of all went downhill from there. But I, I really can't say that. And what's funny is the fact that I'm sitting in front of a computer right now, which, you know, my past couple minutes of babblings, if saved on floppy disks from a 1541 disk drive, would take up probably a room full of disks. I mean, just the, the, the fact that I was sitting at my Commodore 64, with my iPad, this magic piece of glass that was speaking wirelessly to this thing called a, a Wi-Fi access point, which is then connected through cable internet to an entire world of networked computers, and I could pretty much instantly, I mean, it takes a second or two, to pull up a document from someplace on the planet, 
yeah, it is sort of mind-boggling when you think about that. But anyway, I decided Chloe needed to learn basic and not learn like, you know, basically or learn basic stuff, but needed to learn the programming language basic. And a colleague of mine, um, after I put this on Facebook, said, hey, have you introduced her to Scratch? Well, Kendella has done Scratch through uh, her school computer lab thing. And that's that, that's fine. I'm not complaining about, um, you know, the modern programming that these hip youngins are doing today. But there is just something to turning on a computer and typing programs with line numbers and then typing R-U-N, return, not enter, but return, because that's the name of the key on the Commodore keyboards. There's just something to that, that that's it's different. I don't know. I think there's a certain, it's kind of like, I make the argument that my learning how to edit on a, an analog, non-linear, um, the linear, sorry, not the non-linear systems, those came later, but an analog, linear, dual-deck tape system teaches you a discipline in, in thinking about how to assemble a story that then um, is helpful when you move into a non-linear world. Same sort of thing. I don't know. I don't know if I'm I'm crippling her brain and just shorting out a bunch of neurons that would otherwise be much more creative by by forcing her to cope with a text-based editor. Um, yeah, I. Hmm. Well, so here's here's part of my love affair with the 8-bit computing. Um, I'd fired this up. It's been months since I'd used that. Um, I was playing Tower Toppler, which is quite a game. You can Google that. Um, alive and well on, on the computer. It worked fine. Um, played that a while, threw in a few other discs. They loaded great. You know, things are good. Um, worked with Chloe on, on, on basic, which you don't even need to save to disc or anything. You just turn the computer on. You don't need to load it. You don't need to load the operating system. It's, it's 4K of kernel and 4K of basic burned into ROM. So you turn the computer on and it boots in about a second and a half and you're off and running. So the next day I came back and put the disc into play Tower Toppler again. And all I got was a little flashy light on my 1541 disc drive. And you Commodore folks will remember the green light tells you that power's on and that red light, you don't want to see that red light blinking because that means you have an error. I thought this was really weird. Because it worked fine yesterday. Hmm. Hmm. Um, my my drive nine. Because remember our drive numbers: drive eight and drive nine. Drive eight is the, is the default, and where the drives start at. Why eight? I don't know. Drive one is the tape drive. Remember tape drives. Um, and four and five, I think, would be printers. Um, four at least. I'm not sure if five worked as a printer. Um, six and seven weren't really used, so I have a feeling that maybe my old, yes, I have a 1520 plotter. I think that might use some weird number like six. But anyway, the disk stri- disk drive started at drive eight, and if you went in with a, um, well, exacto knife and scraped off a, a jumper trace on the circuit board, you could set it to drive nine. Um, there were two jumpers, and so depending on how you did those, you could get drives 8, 9, 10, or 11, which is now hinting at what, what I did with this drive. Um, so these were both the uh, the Neutronics-style 
drives, the, the original ones from Alps. And the Alps name came back because they made a really cool dry film printer in the like early 2000s, where they used a ribbon, much like the Okamate printers. Yes, I have an Okamate 10 as well. I haven't used that in a really long time. Uh, and they didn't use a, a wet ink. They used this dry film, which is very expensive. It allows you to do cool things like those Alps printers, um, the modern ones, let you print like silver or white. So you could print white on black paper, that kind of thing. Well, it, I had this emotional hurdle to get over, with the Alps printer. I never had one, but I always wanted one because Alps was a dirty name in Commodore computing because the Alps drives uh, were ones that had a spring latch that kind of pop in and then up, which was fine, but they were known for going out of alignment. And once your drive goes out of alignment, you have to open it up and take a screwdriver and put it back into alignment. Um, but it was not exactly trivial. I mean, it was one of those things you could kind of screw up and that'd be a problem. So the the next generation of them had a, a rotating style latch. Um, they didn't have the spring, so it wasn't quite as cool, but they worked, which is helpful. So that's what my drive was. So I knew it well, pretty straightforward and did the whole, you know, drive nine work. So we know the serial bus is okay. I'm all serial communication, <laughs> this parallel stuff, just you know, one bit at a time. So the serial bus was fine. Tried, you know, cable swapping or whatever in case there was some sort of problem, you know, with something you know down the chain causing a problem in the, the communications. So like, nope. Hmm. Well, now don't try this with anything modern. But, even though it's a vintage, classic, 30-year-old piece of equipment, well, this is the kind of thing that you could do, you know, 30 years ago. Maybe not quite 30. 28 years ago? Got close to 30. 84, I think? Um, I think I got my Commodore in 80... Late 84. From a reseller called Comb. And if you're a, a... National listener, someplace out of Minnesota, you may have even heard of Comb for its COMB um, liquidator for their Commodore sales because they were the places where you could, you know, the big deal was the C64 and the disk drive sold for $99 each. That was, I mean, that was, that was a, whoa, what a, <laughs> that's quite a price break. So when they dropped to that price through that um, venue, that's when I got them. Um, but here locally, we all, all knew comb back in the 80s. Um, anyway, I figured, well, let me just take it apart and take a look. So that's exactly what I did. Four screws, you lift the top off, and then one you know, metal shield, and I took that off. And they're really pretty simple structures. So, okay, well, let's see. You put the disc in and turn the, the lever. And there's a little cam that turns and pushes the spring-loaded head assembly down. And I noticed, huh, that pin looks out of place. And there's a little sliding pin. I'm surprised it didn't have a clip to hold it in place, and maybe that was its problem. But for whatever reason, it had slid about an eighth of an inch. And so it was still there and catching on the edge of the little plastic piece that it has to push down, um, kind of like a spacer. But um, it wasn't quite fully there. Hmm, okay, well, I'll just take a little flat plate screwdriver and hold the spring-loaded head down with my finger and then flat plate screwdriver and slide that pin back into place and yeah that seems to work much better and we'll put it back together and plug it in and yep there you go off and run it so again not to not to overly glamorize the glory days of computing 
not not to pine for simpler times because really things are the fact that I can speak to you like this without saying mail me a self-addressed stamped envelope and I will high-speed W a cassette tape and mail it back to you and that we'll call the Aircast. It's almost like a radio broadcast but on tape and delayed by several days or weeks. Which sure you could do, but I think this is better. So I, I gotta admit, this is better. But boy, there is still a uh, a soft soft spot in my heart for the old Commodore stuff. So, um, yeah. So you may have stumbled into this podcast having seen a reference to 1541 and immediately knowing that that is not just some random numbers that add up to 11 or you know whatever but you're thinking hey i bet he's talking about the commodore disk drive and yes i am so uh it's working it's alive and well and those were super fun times i did i will admit i sold off most of my commodore stuff in the past few years uh just one of those you know i am I am never really going to get into this and really geek out on it. And if I have the the time and, and sort of the, the mental cycles to spend on, you know, 6502 machine language programming, I really ought to learn something a bit more practical, you know, JavaScript or something. So over the years, as I've thought that, I've, I've kind of sold things off. So my, my true original C64, the beige breadbox style case, which had a better SID chip, um, that's long gone. Um, but I still have the 64C, which for the life of me, I don't remember where or why I, it might have been for the power supply. That might have been the issue. I think the power supply on my original 64 went bad, because they all did. Um, I think that's it. And so then I ended up with the uh, 64C to replace it, not knowing if it was the power supply or the computer, that whole troubleshooting thing, you know. Um, the other nice thing, if you, know, if you the, the computing environment in which I work, if you need to troubleshoot something, there are always spare parts. It's like, oh, that laptop's acting kind of flaky. Let's try this power supply on that one or whatever. Um, a little bit harder when you don't hit, you know, it, they existed, but I just didn't have friends that had a lot of spare Commodore parts. So anyway, so um, 64C and then um, my two Neutronics style um, 1541 drives. I kept those. Um, I kept the Alchemate 10, which will print on thermal paper. So in addition to using the expensive and now you know, rare, hard to find, out of out of print, no pun intended, ha, um, no longer manufactured ribbons, um, you can just crank a roll of thermal paper in there and, and it'll print fine because it's a thermal transfer paper or thermal transfer printhead. So I kept that. So I had a means of printing. Um, but I, I had an SX64. Those of you who um, know what that is are are maybe wincing that I sold it, but, um, you know, decent, sold it for decent money on eBay. Uh, I had a VIC-20 and a ton of stuff with the VIC-20, ton of stuff, um, and sold that all in a garage sale for like 30 bucks a few years back. Um, you know, I had game cartridges and all sorts of things, and, you know, that was fun, but, you know, it's it sounds nostalgic to load a program from tape, that was not a pleasant experience to have to load a program from tape. So, um, 
you know, in the Vic 20 games that, you know, they were fine, but was I really going to drag it out and teach the girls how to plug cartridges in and get bored with a really basic game on the screen? Um, so sold that, um, sold one of the 15, 20 plotters. I'd picked up a pair of those cause I thought those were super cool. And they were, uh, a magic voice cartridge, um, some modem stuff. I still have an old 1200 baud modem around. Um, not that I know what BBS I would dial up, but I have the modem. So yeah, I sold a lot of stuff, but kept enough. And most importantly, I kept all of my discs. So I have all of my old programs and I do have a computer to run them from. So things, things are good in my Commodore world. Just, just enough to, to keep the memories alive without, uh, driving Ruth crazy, having a bunch of useless junk in the house. So there you go. Um, and exclusive offer to you, the Aircast listener. I have a DPS 1101 Daisy Wheel printer that uses standard Juki, I assume that's how it's pronounced, J-U-K-I, um, Daisy Wheels. It, late in my, my Commodore buying days, um, sort of like late high school, super early college when they were, you know, still, you know, still viable, but kind of, you know, downhill. Um, I bought that, uh, from the same person I bought the, uh, the SX 64 from, I think. So, um, one of those things was kind of thrown in the deal and, oh, that's cool. It's a huge letter quality Daisy wheel printer. Um, and I, would be willing to let that go extremely reasonably to any dedicated Aircast listener who could give it a good home. So there, there you go. Um, yeah, that's, I, if you have any early computing experiences, particularly Commodore ones, because as you can tell, I'm kind of a Commodore geek. Uh, you want to talk about the glory days of BBSs, um, typing in programs from Run Magazine, Computes Gazette, um, bring it on, 206-339-3742. Listen to feedback line or drop me a note through any number of other venues. 8-bit computing. Gotta love it. Um, so that'll do it for this episode of the Aircast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to the Aircast from Aircast.com. Visit us at www.aircast.com.